Hi. And I am so glad because we're finally up to part five of the Upgrade to Awesome workshop. And here's where really um, a lot of what we've been learning is gonna come together in, a, in an awareness. I wanna share a story that I've shared before. It's a story my father told a lot. And it, um, it's a story that I often think about. And so please excuse me if you heard it before. And you know, my father told me that his students, he said, the people told him, and, and I told this to my father, even in his lifetime, I'm like, you know, I, I don't remember the stories that I only heard once, but I remember and I thank him for the stories that he told again and again and again. So this is one of them. A person once came, a chassid once came with his son to the Balhatanya. The son, the reason why he asked his son to come was because he wanted his son to speak with the Balhatanya about his um, about his lifestyle, about his behavior. He was hoping that the Balatanya would inspire him, elevate his soul, uplift him, give him a recharge and a, a little bit of a refocus. His son was very into horseback riding and otherness and was on a on a different path. He he had no sense of responsibility. Um, he, you know, he was just into partying and having fun. And of course he loved horseback riding. That was like the sport of the, of the generation. So he came, the Baal Tanya, you know, was seeing the father and the son and he saw the father and then he saw the son and he was engaging in conversation with this son, the young man. And he asked him about himself, about his health, about how, you know, different parts of his life. And then he asked him about the horse and the son and this guy started talking about the horse with so much passion and so much enthusiasm, so much excitement and delight. You should see this horse. It runs with so fast. It's not just a regular horse. It has such might and such forcefulness. It could trample over any obstacles. Nothing can get in its way. Nothing gets in its path. It just goes and you feel like you're really riding a powerful horse because you are. And um, the Balatan is listening carefully. And then he says, but what happens if you, if the horse takes a wrong turn in the path, wouldn't then all that strength and energy and forcefulness and the speed, wouldn't all of that be uh, a disadvantage? So the guy literally, he's a teenager. I don't know exactly how old he was, probably 18, 19. Um, burst out laughing. He's like, no, you know, don't worry about it because the minute I become aware, as soon as I become aware, I turn it back onto the right path. And then it goes with the same speed. It goes right back onto the path where I want it to go. So the Baal Tanya looked into his eyes and he said, oh, when we become aware, when you become aware, Azman Chaptzich, Azman Chaptzich, he prayed it a few times and the guy suddenly, he suddenly felt, he became aware. He became aware of the fact that his lifestyle and the speed at which he was pursuing it was taking him off the path from really where he wanted to be going. And when he left that room, he, he, he had that awareness that he had lost along the way. And he made himself into a beautiful, he made, he changed the course of his life. And um, he, you know, he changed the course of his life and he became um, focused and productive and successful in so many different ways. And this story is really demonstrates the power of truth to me and the power of the speed the power of, of the impact of our beliefs and our values. When we believe something is true or when we value something, we pursue it with the speed of the mightiest and the forcefulness of our, our, our greatest, most passionate, strongest energies. And that could sometimes work in our disadvantage as much as it is a dis as much as it's a, an advantage, it can also work as a disadvantage. So how can we give ourselves the miracle of Asman Chaptzich? How, how can we have that wake up, that intense moment of awareness? How can we turn on that light for ourselves? Because we're not sitting in front of the Baha Tanya. 
And the answer is all the work that we've been doing has literally been giving us awareness. It's been building up a sense of, it's like having, now we have a red light flashing in our mind. And as we develop more awareness, every time we slip into otherness, we slip away from the path where we really wanna be going in our lives. Where we wanna be going is wholesomeness. It's, it's dignity, it's worthiness, it's respectability, it's love, it's connection, compassion, goodness, kindness. That's where we wanna be, healthy relationships. And when we slip off that track, we now have all the awareness that we've had over the past few weeks. We now have a little red light that flashes in our mind that says, whoops, Asman Chapsich, Chapsich, like, wake up, wake up. And the more awareness we have, the more we think about Hashem, the more clarity we have about what it looks like to be aware of our respectability, of our dignity, of our worthiness, of our oneness with Hashem and our focus on our, on our purpose, the more awareness we have about what that looks like, the more clarity we have about what it looks like when we slip off the path. In other words, the more that red light flashes with greater strength and intensity and brightness when we inevitably slip off and start going in a, in a different direction, we give ourselves that gift of Azman Chapsich. We give ourselves that gift of clarity and awareness. So today I wanna to share two, um, two kind of, two paradigms really where, where we can see ourselves. And the reason why I'm sharing this is not so much that it's a tool in itself, but just having this awareness, um, maybe having the awareness, the picture in our minds will give us that clarity so that when we fall into victimhood, into self-pity, to misery or resentment and helplessness, we'll, we'll remember, oh, wait, that's not where I want to be. And then we'll know how to get back on track to where we want to be. So let's turn the page. The first page, um, the second page, page two, is when Mashiach comes, the difference between Gaila and Geula, the Gaila and Geula have exact, four, four letters are exactly the same. The Gimel, the Vav, the Lamed, and the He. Exile, redemption in Hebrew, spelled exactly the same way. Geula has one tiny difference. It has the Aleph. And the Aleph, the word Aleph, is from the root word of Alufai Shal Eilam. Aleph means a master. Alufai Shal Eilam is the master of the world. When we invite the master of the world into our lives, we experience a taste of Geula here and now, even while we are in Golas. And of course, as we do that, every time we do that, we're bringing on the ultimate Geula closer into the, for the whole world because Geula is described as a time in so many different sukkim and navi, the Geula is, is described as a time when Hashem's presence will be revealed and demonstrated for the entire world. Everyone will know that Hashem is the king of the world. Everyone will know that Hashem is the supreme exclusive power, the one in charge, the one who's been pulling all the strings all along. So a Geula mindset is when we consciously accept Hashem as our power, and we value Hashem above all. And when I say value Hashem above all, what I mean is that, you know, when we're feeling a sense of whatever it is, any kind of disempowerment, whether it's helplessness or self-pity or resentment or jealousy or anger, anything that is overwhelming us and pulling us away from our joy and empowerment, what we can do is invite Hashem into the story and, and let ourselves, let Hashem's entrance into that scene give us a shift of perspective. Let ourselves experience a shift in perspective. Remember we talked about perspective is the distance between ourselves and whatever we're looking at or the distance between two different objects. So Hashem coming into the room automatically has to shift the scene. Um, some things will shrink, some things will magnify. What difference does Hashem's entrance into the room mean? And that's what I mean when I say value Hashem above all, because if Hashem is irrelevant, then his entrance into the story makes no difference. He's irrelevant. But if we really value Hashem above 
everything else. And we realize that Hashem is the ultimate power and the one who created it all and the one who empowers us and gives us our dignity, our respectability, our identity, then his entrance into the room has to make a difference. Something has to shift and it's gonna shift in a positive way. So that's what it looks like when we are in the Geula mindset. And in this, I wanna take this in a di different direction because till now we were talking about empowerment. I wanna just shift this in a different direction to what it looks like. When we are feeling empowered, we, we didn't talk about empowerment as much as we talked about our dignity and our worthiness, right? I think, I mean, that's what it feels like in my mind, right? But I wanna take a moment to talk about um, something else, a little bit of a different direction, and that is our power of choice, our power to make a choice. If there's an airplane in the sky and somebody's having a medical emergency, very often what you will hear on that flight, I mean, I haven't flown on a plane in a long time, and maybe, maybe many of you haven't either, but I'm sure you all have this memory, or maybe you heard of a, of a situation where the pilot or somebody will make an announcement and say, is there a doctor in the house? Right? It could be on a plane, it could be at, a, at an event. Is there a doctor in the house? Somebody is having a medical emergency. Is there a doctor on board? Is he in this room? Does anybody, does anybody have the medical skills? Now, if there's a doctor in the room, let's say there's a student doctor. Let's say there's a doctor who feels very insecure in their newly developing skills. They might not want to step up to the plate to make a difference because they're afraid. What if I mess up? They say that many, in many CPR situations, many C situations where CPR is needed, people who know CPR might not be willing to step up to the plate because they're afraid of, they're afraid of causing more damage than, and more harm than healing because they feel like, oh, I don't know it well enough, right? So insecurity will make, will make that doctor hold back and retreat and not step up to the plate and offer his services. But if there's a doctor who is skilled, who actually really knows what they're doing and is proficient in that ability, that doctor will step up because the more, you, the, more the doctor respects their position, their ability to help the other person, the more readily they will step up to the plate and help the person who is in need. And it's really the same thing for us. The more we respect our power, our God-given empowerment, our respectability, our worthiness and our dignity, the more we see ourselves as capable of making a difference, as capable of making an impact, and the less we see ourselves as victims of events that happen. The Hasidim of the Baal Shem Tov, the Talmidim of the Baal Shem Tov were sitting and learning. The Baal Shem Tov had taught them that everything that happens in the world is orchestrated precisely by Hashem to teach us lessons and, and, to, and for us to grow and learn from. So as they're sitting and learning, um, through the open, down the block, there was a Ukrainian wagon driver whose wagon got stuck in the mud and he needed help. So he went over to the first building that he saw, which happened to be the base medrash where they were sitting and learning, stuck his head into the window and said, can anybody come help me? And the people sitting inside weren't interested in helping for whatever reason. And somebody said, no, we can't. So he was frustrated and annoyed. And he said, yes, you can, you just don't want to. And this became a famous line in, uh, in it's a famous Hasidic line, Hasidic saying, right? You can, you just don't want to. Don't tell me any stories. You can, you just don't want to. Let's say the guy, so let's hear the story told in different perspectives, okay? A guy sitting in the base measures, he's learning. He's having a test in 20 minutes. He's not ready. He was up the whole night, you know, helping his wife with the baby and he wasn't able to learn. And now he's cramming and he's got a test in 20 minutes and he has a bad back. And a guy comes, put, puts his head through the window and says, my horse and wagon is stuck. I need help. Can you help me? Okay, now, if this person, now here's one way to tell the story, okay? The guy comes home and says, you don't know what happened. I was working so hard to study. And then this thing happened to distract me. And this guy was getting on my nerves. And then it started leaking from the roof. And then to top it all off, this annoying creature, loud mouth, vulgar human being comes sticking his head 
right in my ear, screaming in my ear and says, can you help me? And of course I said, no, because I really couldn't. And then he makes me feel guilty about it. And he screams at me and doesn't stop. And he stands there ranting and raving for five minutes, how I can and I don't want to and this and that, and it won't go away. Okay. That is the story of a victim. Do you hear it? Everything is happening to hurt me. Everything is happening to get me down. Everything is happening. It's life is coming at me. Life is just coming at me. I don't have any power. I don't have any impact on the situation. I'm just trying to do my thing. I'm trying to get my ducks neatly lined up and everybody's coming and making a mess. It's just not happening for me because everyone's just getting in my way. That is a helpless, pitiful victim. Okay, I have no empowerment. The quality of my life depends on other people, other circumstances. I am just trying to do my thing. And when my circumstances and conditions are not ideal, I am lost, I am helpless, and I am stuck. Now, another kind of victim is, fine, baby, I have no choice. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna help this guy and I'll hate it all the while and I'll do it and I'll kill my back and be angry at everyone and rant about, you know, and mumble about it and grumble about it. That's another kind of being a victim. victim. Another way of telling the story is, you know, I, I, was, I was sitting and just trying to learn and the guy put his head through the window and asked for help. And I noticed that some other people were answering, were, were responding, and he didn't like what they said. And, you know, he told them so. And then they just went on ignoring and I just continued my learning, right? That's an observer. When someone says, does anybody, can anybody come help me? They're not talking to me. Who am I? I'm just here. I just happen to be in the room. <laughs> Doesn't matter that I heard him ask the same question. I'm, a, I'm an observer. My, the fact that I'm here is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. He wasn't talking to me. He was talking to the, you know, he was saying, does anybody, could anybody help me? It was probably, he probably meant the able-bodied men, the, the strong people, the young people, the healthy people, the smarter people, the better people, right? Can anybody help me? No, it can't be me. It, could, it couldn't have been me. My choices are irrelevant. That's an observer, okay? Um, avoiding, agitating, escaping, could have said, you know, I was sitting there trying to study. This guy was getting on my nerves. That's it. I'm getting out of here. I'm going somewhere else. Okay. He's talking, he's getting on my nerves. He's, you know, and, and you run out of the room. Because I can't, I can't take it. Everyone's bothering me. He doesn't stop. I'm getting out of the room. Or I go out there and I start screaming at him. What are you saying? What do you mean I can't and I don't want to? Don't you know I have a life? Don't you know I have responsibilities? What do you mean I can't? Yes, of course I can. I cannot. I have a bad back. Oh, I have to bring a doctor's letter to prove it to you. And he stands and wastes five minutes agitating about it. About it. And the other person, the other way of being it is, in that sense, the guy does feel important. He's talking to a whole shul, but I feel like I need to run away. Nobody else in the shul needs to run away. I need to run away. Nobody else in the shul needs to go out and scream at him. I need to go and scream at him because he's bothering me. It's getting on my nerves. Okay, that's avoiding, agitating, and escaping. The other option is to choose. Sitting there trying to learn, I have 20 minutes to cram. I really am pressured for my time. Someone comes to the door, sticks his head in the window. Obviously, if I'm here, there's a reason. I'm supposed to hear this. I can't help him. I go to the window and say, sir, I'm really sorry I can't help you. I would love to help you. There's nothing, you know, I, 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 just, I just have a bad back. Can I do something else? Can I get you a cup of water? And I might turn to my friend and say, I'm really pressured for time here. Do you mind? Could you be so kind and get him a cup of water or make a phone call? They didn't have phones in those days. Make a phone call, call Haverim, get somebody to help this guy. He really deserves our assistance, right? So you see a spectrum and I'm not talking about, the point of this is like how we tell our stories is gonna be so different. And it's also how we're gonna live in our stories because the victim, the observer, the avoider, as we all come home, that these stuff drain us. But the more we see ourselves, the more we respect our power of choice, the more we respect Hashem's empowerment of us to choose, the more we respect ourselves, the more we see ourselves as key players in the story, as the ones who have the ability to step up to the plate and make a difference and change the tra trajectory of the story, not just for ourselves, but for other people, for all other people, in every story, every time, every day, 
wherever we are. There's a teacher and she's a special ed teacher and she's supposed to pull out students and give them the support that they need, okay? Now she goes into a class and the, main, the homeroom teacher, it's a third grade classroom, let's say, I'm making this up, third grade classroom teacher, um, it's a new teacher and she, um, I'm gonna call the person who walks in, the special ed teacher, I'm gonna call her Dina, okay? Dina walks in and says, and I'm gonna tell the story from Dina's perspective, as if I'm Dina, but I'm gonna do it in all four ways, okay? I walk into this lady's room, I have to do my job, I got three kids to take in, she rolls her eyes at me, she gives me a look, she asks me if I can come back in an hour, doesn't she know I have a schedule? No, I cannot come back in an hour, it's actually not. And yesterday, when I came the later time, she told me to come the earlier time, this, she's just messing around, she's making, this is, this is ridiculous, this is not respectful, she hates me, she's out to get me, this is not working, I'm going to tell the principal, okay? No conversation happened, um, just an, a judgment, an assessment. Do you hear, like, the teacher says, can you come back in an hour, and I'm a victim of her craziness, of her hating me, of her not letting me do my job. Maybe she feel, I'm, and I'm already saying, oh, you, she probably feels threatened by me, she doesn't like me, because I'm more experienced than her, and she's worried that, my, that, that I'm gonna take out the students and they're gonna I start making up a story. It's all, you know, it's all about how she hates me, okay? An observer says, I, I come into the room, I'm Dina, I come into the room and she says, can you please come back in an hour? And I look at my watch and I know that in an hour I have to be somewhere else and that kid's schedule cannot be adjusted. So I say, no, I can't and I leave the room. The end, no discussion no conversation, no negotiating, no resolution of the problem. I can't, the end, okay? Avoiding, escaping, agitating, you know, um, in all these stories, Dina comes home and is very, 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 very frustrated because she has a job to do. I've got a job. I only get paid if I actually work with these children, with this child. I only get paid, I can't bill. And every day this teacher is giving me stories. Every day she tells me, come back tomorrow, come back next week. Don't, not now, you should have come an hour ago. You're supposed to, don't take them out today. Today we're having a party. Every day there's another story. She's really ruining my parnasa. This is crazy, okay? Avoid, escape, agitate. You know what? That's it. I'm telling the principal, I am not stepping foot into that classroom. If I'm not respected, if I'm not treated properly, if my time is not valued, I'm out, I'm done. I'm out of there. That's it, I'm not, I'm not going on it, I'm not going. And when I meet her in the hallway, I just will turn the other way, I'll pretend I'm on my phone. I can't look at this teacher in her face. The disgust, the disgusting behavior that she treated me, the way she rolls her eyes, the way she turns her shoulders, I cannot deal with it. I'm not gonna look at her, I'll avoid her, okay? Um, and I choose is, the teacher says, Dina, can you come back in an hour? I say, oh, this is really, you know, it's really hard for me. When can we have a conversation about this? We have to sit down and figure it out. I want to understand. It seems to be that there's something going on because it feels like every time I come in, and obviously you can't say this in the middle of class, but you know, the next opportunity, you sit down and you say, or you call her on the phone and you say, and I say, I'm Dina, like, you know, I, I'm wondering about how you're feeling about this whole situation. What's, what's it like for you when I pull out the kids? Is something else going on? Because every single day I'm getting another story. Do you hear the difference? When I'm so obsessed with my self-pity, I don't even think that there's another story going on. I, I'm like in my own head, I'm in my own story, I'm in my own victimhood, I'm in my own self-pity and I'm not making a choice, I'm not, recognizing my value, my respectability, but in the I choose mode, it's like, wait, something's off. This is a teacher, she, she, she's, she's good at what she's doing. You know, I respect her, I'm sure she respects me. I have what to offer, she has what to offer. Let's come together and work this out as adults, okay? When you don't take it personally, all of a sudden, it's possible to have a conversation and it's not gonna get sticky. It's not gonna be hateful. It's not gonna be emotionally charged with toxic energy. So that's the, that's the spectrum. In the gullus mindset, 
We subconsciously value people and things more than anything. And in that space, you know, if, if someone hurt me, then that takes up all the space. If she's getting in the way of my parnasa, that takes all the space. If she's rude and obnoxious, rolling her eyes at me and just not, like really not smiling, not doing anything, like I feel victimized by that because that's all I have. I don't have the whole other picture of the God-given resp respectability and my dignity and that I'm, I'm like, I feel crushed. I feel hurt. I feel damaged. I feel beaten by, by her behavior. Now, even in the I choose mode, I think with all our awareness, it's human to feel upset. It's human to feel frustrated, annoyed, and maybe even hurt. But what, what happens, the more we respect ourselves, the less that cuts us to the core. And there's a very big difference from something being like, you know, a speck of dust that we need to wipe off or something that splashed on our, on our face or something that got us upset on an external level or that cut very, very, very deeply into, you know, into our very deep heart and into our, our very identity and our whole sense of self is shattered to a million pieces and we really feel broken about it. So if you think of a challenge in your life or think about a story that happened to you today, try this exercise, right? What would it be like to tell the story as if you're a victim? What would it be like to tell the story as an observer? What would it be like to tell the story as somebody who needs to avoid, agitate or escape? And what would it be like to tell the story as a chooser? If you could think about that for a minute, I would love if anybody has any questions, go for it. If you could think of a story in your head and try to think of it, what would that story look like as a victim? What would that story look like if you're an observer? What would that story look like if you need to avoid and if you're agitating and escaping from being present in that situation? And then what does it look like when you're a chooser? Go ahead. Well, I want to just repeat the question, the situation for the recording. Somebody's sharing a, a, a fantastic situation, and I think it's fantastic because this is so classic of what could happen, and um, it also represents other things that could happen. So she's talking about being a neighbor in a living in a house in a in a multi-level house, and there's very poor insulation um, and soundproofing in between the floors, and so mm -hmm. I'm assuming, and she lives upstairs. And, um, and she has a baby and she has a baby who cries a lot at night and the neighbor downstairs hears every little step and gets so frustrated and takes it personally and, um, and then blasts music in retaliation um, when she's upset to express her frustration, <laughs> you know. So the question is really, how can I see myself in this situation? It's hard for me to see myself in the situation because really, this person sees me as an abusive neighbor, as an uncaring, heartless, um, you know, unsensitive neighbor. And, and um, really it's not my fault. It's the house, it's the nature of the being. So I just wanna put it out there that look at this. We can look at ourselves. I, if I'm the neighbor that lives downstairs, I could look at myself as a victim and I would be right. I am a victim. I'm trying to put my kids to sleep at night. I finally do. I finally, after a long, hard day, I get into bed and all of a sudden, bang, 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 bang. Can't you walk quietly? Can't you wear slippers? Can't they put on the stupid carpet? Come on, these people have allergies. Really? I don't know anybody who has allergies. Come on, they're just being ridiculous. If they would put on carpet, it would make, it would be so helpful. You know, they're, they're just, I, I can't believe I got stuck with such horrible neighbors. Okay, that's a victim. Observing would be like, okay, I'm not gonna talk about it, you know, I'm not gonna even point out, I'm just gonna suffer in silence, you know, whatever I say or do is not gonna help anyway. I'm not gonna even gonna try to have a conversation. Avoiding agitating and escaping would be like, you know, I'm not gonna look at this neighbor, I'm not gonna text to her, I will pretend she doesn't exist or I will agitate, I will put on that music blasting, she will know just how miserable she makes me, okay? 
this is what I, I'm gonna take a broom and I'm gonna stick it up and I'll bang on her ceiling. I'll bang on my ceiling and she'll get the feeling of what it is like to have this constant horrible banging in your house. Okay. And the other option is I could choose and I can have a conversation and I can get clarity and I can, I could come with respect for the other person and respect for myself and it's okay. And you know what? Maybe I need to move because it doesn't work for me to live in this house. That's a choice. That's not avoiding or escaping. That's a choice. You know, you know what I mean? So, so, the, but the, the, the pain of being woken up in the middle of the night because someone else's baby is crying, it's hard. It's really hard. The pain of knowing that every move that I take, somebody else is hearing me, it's really, really hard to live like that. I didn't tell the story from the upstairs neighbor's perspective, but I don't need to. I feel like we're, we're drumming this in too much. I think we got the point, right? How we tell the story is going to spell the difference between the suffering that we have. We can't change. The fact is this house is an old house and it will creak and you will hear every single step downstairs and you will even hear loud voices. You'll, you're gonna hear it all. It's not possible to soundproof it. I mean, it's possible to soundproof it, but right now there's nothing you can do as a, as a tenant. There's nothing you can do. This is the house and this is, this is, this is the reality. But the suffering that we give ourselves when we see ourselves as helpless, pitiful victims or as observers or as avoiding, agitating and escaping instead of choosing, if we really, really respect ourselves and respect other people and we hold our power of dignity and we, with, with, with that, with a sense of value and we hold our power of choice with utter reverence, I can do something here. What am I going to do? What is, how is my behavior contributing to the mess? And it's not just gonna be about what my son throws on the floor. It's gonna be, what can I do? Maybe I can have a conversation about this. Maybe I should just write her a letter to explain myself if, she's, if I really believe that a conversation won't go anywhere. Maybe I could just beg her forgiveness and explain to her that, you know, my husband's allergies are actually very real. You know what I mean? There's so much we could do when we see ourselves as choosers instead of as victims. I really want to thank you for sharing that story because I could so much relate to it. There are so, and, and, I, and I see people nodding their heads. It's such a relatable story. So thank you very, very much for, for, for uh, sharing that. Now, the bottom line of this is, remember last week we learned the power tool. The short version of the power tool is pause. Consciously connect, right? Welcome Hashem's empowerment of you. Envision it. Visualize it the W and the E, and then choose, make a choice. So pause, observe, welcome, envision, and, and resolve. Make that choice from, from that place. Okay. And I want to just summarize everything that we learned in, in this and just to bring together the different language, the different words that we use, because for everyone who's participating here, if you listen to this together with a friend, now you have the language with which you can have a conversation about your struggles, about the conflicts and about the challenges that you experience on a day-to-day -day basis. So let's, let's, let's put this in the perspective of more language, okay? So a review of everything we learned so far is that number one, we experience emotions around whatever we value. The more we value something, the more emotional energy we have around that thing or that person. Okay, now let's, when we value, I'm, I'm introducing a new word, which many of you have heard before, but it's new for this series. Um, when we have a lot of energy around the person or a thing, that thing or that person has power in our lives. It has influence, right? So value equals emotion and intense emotion equals power. When I have, when I really value something, I'm gonna have a lot of emotional energy around them and then they have power. They have the power to pick me up or pull me down or make my mood better or make my mood worse. They really influence me deeply in a big way. The more emotional charge we have around a thing, the more power it has in our lives. And when it comes to people, whenever we feel compelled or controlled by a person, it's because we value something about them to the point of intense emotional charge. Think about your teenagers. 
Okay, why do teenagers get under our skin like nobody else in the world? Because we respect them. We don't just like them, we actually respect them. We, re we value them. We value their opinion, you know? Maybe they do know better. They're, they're better than us in so many ways. They're smarter than us in so many ways. Um, so, so we have a certain sense of respect and that respect creates um, intense emotional charge. We value their opinion. It's not just like we don't care about what they say and then they say they're rude and obnoxious and we couldn't care less. No, we, we respect them. We know that they're intelligent. We know that they're capable. And we know that they know certain things that we don't know. You know that, that visual of the guy climbing up the mountain and he works so hard for many long weeks. He's struggling and he's schwitzing and he's pulling and he's stretching and he's climbing. Finally, puffing and panting, he drops down at the top of the mountain. And you could imagine his utter shock when he turns around and he hears a little boy laughing, he just spent weeks climbing up this mountain and he hears a little boy laughing. He turns to the boy and says, I know how I got here. How did you get here? And the boy says, what do you mean? I was born here. I, I live here. You see down the block, that's my house, right? So our kids are born into very often where we have to really, really work really hard to climb. That was just, uh, commercial for, for feeling intimidated, intimidated by the teenagers in our lives or the young adults in our lives. We value something about them and then we have intense emotional charge. So they have power in our lives. Now, in the book, I talk about power. In the book, Your Awesome Self, I talk about attributing all power exclusively to Hashem. I want to put it in perspective, this topic in, um, in context of what we're talking about here. You know, it's human to attribute power to people, places, and things. We will do that because, we, we, because we're human, okay? The, what, we, what we want to try to do is always have Hashem have, have more power or the deepest power, that real intense power, the one that's really going to drive our behaviors and really give us our deepest identity, we want to leave that exclusively for Hashem. Because if we put that in the hands of people, places, or things, we're doomed. It will, it will, we have no, that's like surrendering it to Neverlands, to nothingness, um, to, to the elements. We're open to being defined by anything and anyone, and it's not an emotionally safe path. Not because the people in our lives are not loving, but because everybody is human and everybody makes mistakes. And I'm just talking from a very human perspective over here, from what's emotionally safe. The only one who is unconditionally in love with us, infatuated with us at all times, and is always gonna be kind to us is Hashem. The only value that we always have that nobody and nothing could take away from us is the respectability that we have because Hashem gives us a part of himself. So the foundation of all our faith is to attribute all power to Hashem. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Listen, Yisrael, Hashem is our power and he is one. The purpose of creation is for us and all of creation to recognize, to demonstrate, to proclaim Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. That is the purpose of creation. So our personal mission statement is to express that truth, to express Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, in our behavior, in our situations, in our personal stories, in our experiences, in our joys, in our pain, in our happy moments, and in our sad moments. So how do we do that? How do we do that? By what we talked about before, letting Hashem's presence make a difference. Now, when we attribute all power to Hashem, we're not talking about the spiritual benefit, because of course there's spiritual benefit. We're talking about a physical benefit. The more power we attribute to Hashem, and we know, right, value equals emotion, emotion equals power, right? So the more we value Hashem, the more awesomeness we invite into our lives. That's the bottom line key. So here's a little diagram on the bottom, which on this page, on page three, which I think just helps it make clear. I don't know, I'm a very diagram person. So if it confuses you, skip it. But if it's helpful for you, let's take a look at it quickly. What we value on the left side is what we value creates our emotions, right? And then our emotions directs where and how we attribute power. 
because our emotions influence us. They have power in our lives. Where and how we attribute power defines how we see ourselves. Because how do we see ourselves? If my experiences have so much power, then I take self-definition from my experiences. If that person's opinion has so much, if that person has power, then their opinion of me has the power to make me a good girl, a bad girl, a horrible girl, or an ugly girl. If my, if, if, if that person's, you know, if, 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 if um, the magazine sets the standard for what my table, the quality of my Shabbos table, if it's beautiful or ugly, because I'm comparing it to a magazine, the picture of a table setting in a magazine, if I value that picture in the magazine, then I will define the quality of my Shabbos table based on that value, right? We, we spoke about this. The, we define, we all have, we all use the words good, bad, success, and failure, like as if they all mean the same thing, but they mean different things to each person, depending on what you value. So whatever we, whatever we value creates emotions and creates power. And that power has the power to define ourselves. If I value money, I will have emotions around money and I will attribute power to money. And then whether I have money or I don't have money is gonna be whether I am a success story or a failure story, whether I belong or I'm rejected, whether I am respectable or utterly worthless, okay? And how we see ourselves, the label that we take from all of that if I'm respectable, I create my story from that position through the lens of respectability. Like what we said before, if I, inherit, if I see myself as a chooser, if I see myself as having worthiness, dignity, um, capability, and I am the person who actually, because I'm so respectable, because I have so much in me, I actually impact the environment around me. I have a very big impact on people in my life. In my life, I'll take my words very seriously. I'll think before I speak. I will think before I think. <laughs> I'll think before I act for sure. But that's how we create our story through the lens of how we see ourselves. So here are some important questions. They're good questions. Go for it, but not, not right now because I want to leave time for your questions. <laughs> okay. I said I was going to share two diagrams. So we had the first one was, which was the one with the, you know, from victim to chooser. And here's the second one. Okay, this is the one picture that I often come back to. And I think I come back to the most. For me, being in a geula mindset begins with, is defined by three things. Number one, who is my power? Is Hashem making a difference in my life? Am I attributing power to him? Is he holding the power to define me? Number two, how am I seeing myself? And number three, am I sitting in the front seat of my life? Do I see myself as the person, the key player in my life? Or am I sitting, seeing myself in the back seat, being driven around up and down on a roller coaster by all kinds of other people's circumstances and situations? So when I'm, whenever I'm feeling, whenever I hear myself, like the spotlight in my mind is busy mumbling and grumbling about someone else, I know it's time to turn that spotlight and think about my own identity. Whenever I find myself like really, like really like, um, you know, you find yourself like really being annoyed at another person and thinking about what they're doing wrong, you know, I, I turn the spotlight away from that person and Turn it right towards this, um, any one of these things. Wait, who's the power here? Hashem. Okay, who am I? You know, what's my purpose? And I kind of, these three big ideas, Hashem's power, his empowerment of me and my purpose, which is to let my awareness of Hashem's power and my awareness of my identity make a difference. Those three big ideas are kind of like, you know, like you wanna put on your oxygen before you go into a deep dive. 
whenever I'm going into, if I'm going into a complicated, I know, I know this is going to be complicating. I know it's going to be a, 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 a difficult situation. I'm like, okay, Hashem, you're the power. Please help me. I turn that into a tefillah because tefillah is the way we can, you know, put automatically person. It's not just Hashem is a power, but he's my power. So that's why I put it in a tefillah. Hashem, please help me hold on to my dignity in this situation. I know it's going to be easy for me to lose it. Please help me hold on to it. Hashem, please help me stay focused on my purpose. You know, whatever, one of any one of these three things is going to put me into the geula mindset. When we attribute power to Hashem, we, we're, we're in that mode where he empowers us to choose. And then we see ourselves as emotionally rich. And we come into social situations. We come to our relationships as givers. I have what to contribute here. I'm making a difference. And from there, we drive our lives in the front seat and we choose and we're, we're living our lives. And that's what I call living our lives with purpose because we're making choices. I get to decide my agenda of the day. I'm going to decide. And I might not decide. I'm, 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 I already committed to the job and I committed to the role of being a mother. I committed to the role of this, of, of you know, being a friend or you know, being part of someone else's life in whatever way that I am. So that's already decided. I, I'm not going to make, that's not a whole new choice every single day, although it is a good idea to consciously, you know, re-accept that position every day and engage from a place of choice. But what we do have a choice is like, how, how am I going to show up? Am I going to fulfill my purpose? Am I going to let Hashem make a difference here and now? And when we do this, I call this an energizing cycle because each one feeds energy and positivity into the other. From Hashem's power, we get our identity. And from our identity, we get a purposeful life. And from our purposeful life, we're more aware of Hashem's power. We see miracles. We see his blessings. We see his energy coming through in beautiful ways. By contrast, when we attribute power to people and things and, and they have the power and, and are in the spotlight of our mind is focused outside of ourselves because all the power is outside of ourselves, you know, then, then I am helpless. I'm just dependent on other people. I become a victim of circumstances. I see myself as a victim of circumstances and then I actually become a victim of those circumstances because I'm going to perpetuate that victimization. I'm going to perpetuate that that unhealthy relationship because I see myself as belonging in that mud hole. I, I belong in that position. I hate it, but I have no, this is where, this is who I am. This is where I, this is where I was. This is where I will always be. And it's like, we're sitting in the back seat of a roller coaster, just being taken for a ride. Sometimes the ride is good. Sometimes the ride is not good. We wait, we hope, I hope it's going to be better ride today. You know what I mean? And that's a vicious cycle because it drains us. It sucks the joy out of our lives. And, and we get, and we, and we just get stuck. You know, other powers makes us feel an other identity. We lose it. And then we're not living purposefully. And then that just reinforces our helplessness, our victimhood and our self-pity. So that's that. Now I want to, where I want to, what I want everyone to be able to go home with is page five, which is the bottom line of bottom line of all that we can get from this is the more we value Hashem's awesomeness, the more inner wealth we have. Tralala, I feel like we're saying this again and again and again, but it's, 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 it's true. The more we value Hashem's awesomeness, the more we value our awesomeness and the more inner wealth we have. So the key to upgrading the quality of our lives is upgrading our value of Hashem. And I want to talk about practical ways of how we can do this. Okay, so let's talk about each of these three big ideas. Number one, Hashem's power. Who has, who or what is holding the power in my situation in today's story? By the way, whenever you're feeling overwhelmed, stuck, disempowered, resentful, miserable, this is the best worksheet to take out. Because if you if you've done if you if you participated in the worksheet in the workshop series you have a lot of awareness and just asking yourself these questions will give you that miracle of asman khaptikh asman khaptikh and you'll have that whole energy your whole 
the strength, the powerful energy of your emotions will be redirected towards the place where you want to be. So who or what is holding the power in my situation in today's story? And some ideas of where to start looking is who has the power right now? Who has the power to fill my needs? Who's going to make me a better day? Who's going to solve this problem? Who do I depend on? Who or what is getting me to stop or start? Who or what is inspiring me to give or to hold back, to show up or to run away? Where's the drama in my life? Whenever there's drama, at the center of the drama is somebody who's holding power. Okay, do I wanna be giving that person all that power? Do I wanna be giving that thing all that power, that belief all that power? And if not, you can't just take it away by willing it to go away. The only way, darkness cannot be chased away with sticks, but a little bit of light dispels, makes an impact on all of the darkness. Okay, so we're, if, I, if, I, if I ask myself this question, I see, you know what, that person, I'm really valuing that person's opinion. And that's why I get so much drama around what she said, what she could have said. She answered my text. She didn't answer my text. She answered quietly. She answered like one heart, two hearts, a happy emoji, a, a no emojis, no uh, three lines of response, a one word response. So much drama around this person you know what? That's a sign that I need more energy in my relationship with Hashem. It's not about taking away energy between me and the other person. It's about upgrading my value of Hashem so that I have more emotional charge around my relationship with Hashem, because that is always going to be positive, empowering um, energy. So what can I do to, ex to express my value of Hashem or my dependency on Hashem? Anybody? What do you do on a daily basis? Or if you want to express your value of Hashem or my or your dependency on Hashem. Anybody want to share? Thank you. Thank you so much. So um, davening is a way that we demonstrate our dependency on Hashem. When we're uncertain and we ask Hashem for clarity, and we say a capital of Tehillim, that's a way of demonstrating our dependency on Hashem. Doing a mitzvah demonstrates, demonstrates to Hashem and to ourselves that we are dependent on Hashem. Thank you so much for that. Oh. Beautiful. Saying thank you, Hashem. Three magic words. Thank you, Hashem. But it's not the words. It's the emotion. It's the awareness. It's the utter dependency, the recognition that comes behind it. Because if they're just words, they're meaningless, right? But that real gratitude, when we recognize our utter dependency on Hashem, we were walking the other day um, and it was very, very icy. And my daughter kept saying, thank you, Hashem, for keeping us safe. Thank you, Hashem, for keeping us safe. You know, every other step as we walk, thank you, Hashem, for keeping us safe. It was so sweet to have that awareness, to have that reminder that, yeah, you know what? I could have slipped. I could have fallen. Thank you, Hashem, for helping me walk and not fall in this, in this snowy ice. Hashem's presence, the second big idea is our identity. Hashem's presence within us gives us unchangeable respectability and the power to choose. So how do I see myself? These are the three magic questions that really transform, take us into the Gula mindset. Who is holding the power in my story? Right here and now, how do I see myself? Okay, and in what way am I expressing that truth? So how do I see myself? If I would respect myself, what would I stop doing? If I would respect myself, what would I start doing more? Where in my life am I behaving in a way that's different from the person I want to be? That's a really, um, a really a, a question that if you're honest with yourself, you know, you could really gain a lot of insight and growth. Where in my life am I behaving in a way that's different from the person I want to be? And that difference could be, I am more insecure, that difference could be, I am less kind, I am less patient, I am less tolerant, I am less accepting. Okay, if I would value Hashem's presence within me and within others more than any other quality, how would that improve my relationships? Because it's not just about valuing Hashem in me, it's about valuing Hashem's presence in other people. Okay, what can I do to express unconditional respect for myself and others? For, for one person, it might be davening, actually, also, because 
davening is taking time to recharge your own battery. And you know, as women, we do so many things for so many other people. And then it's like, oh, whoops, no time to daven. Really? You have time to feed everyone else and take care of everyone else, but no time to do a little something for ourselves. That's like a typical women's story of our lives. Um, eating a healthy salad, eating a healthy breakfast, an act of self-respect. I love that. Wow, sometimes when, it's, when, when times are stressful and things are chaotic around us, we kind of just like decide, okay, I'm just gonna be, take, I'm gonna lose myself to all of this. But taking that focus of saying, okay, there's, I'm gonna spend 10 minutes tonight or 15 minutes tonight or an hour tonight on, I'm gonna do this by choice. That is huge. That's a huge act of unconditional self-respect. And it's so, it's so meaningful, so empowering. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> okay, and the third thing is Hashem wants us to let his presence make a real difference in all that we say and do. So in what ways am I doing that? On a scale of zero to 10, how much or how often do I consciously choose my beliefs and values? Okay, I'm going into a situation. How much am I gonna choose what I wanna think about myself or what perspective? How do I wanna see this story? As I'm telling the story of my day, how much attention am I paying to the fact that the way I told the story could be told in a completely different way? What's happening when I'm not choosing? Okay, where does my fear of rejection or my fear of not being liked make a difference in my relationships? Where is my fear of discomfort holding me back from doing what I know is right or from what I know is in my best interest? We talked about this a lot throughout the workshop. I just put it in here because um, the, these are really, these are, these are the keys. If you ever, like in a moment when you're really in a crunch, you wanna pull out one thing, this is the one to pull out to help you get into the Geula mindset. Okay, in what way will my awareness of Hashem make a difference to my experience of this situation or this day? That's the bottom line. Um, the most important thing that, of, that matters in any day, in any situation is what am I going to do right here, right now? Hashem created the world in a way that, you know, every moment the world is created anew and the world is recreated and recreated. And every moment we have that opportunity to choose how we're going to engage in our lives, how we're going to engage in our relationships in our experiences. Whenever you're feeling down and out, just remember that this moment is a new moment. This moment is the first moment of the rest of your life. Whatever we do right now will change the trajectory of our story. It's, the, it's, it's a new chapter. Every minute is its own page, its own line, its own, its own paragraph at least in our story and it has its own heading and its own you know framework and its own value our yetsahara knows the power of the moment and will use that against us we'll use that to you know say oh you wasted time you know so now feel bad about yourself go punish yourself in the corner you know anytime we're feeling it doesn't matter, or the two main uh, strategies of the Yetzirah are, it doesn't matter or you don't matter. <laughs> you know, what you do doesn't really matter and or you yourself don't matter. You're, you're too bad to make a choice. Let's just remember that anytime we're being pulled away from the power of the moment, it is a lie. It is our Yetzirah. Sometimes it's a Yetzirah dressed up as the holiest, most righteous, Sadic, but if it's pulling us down and out, if it's disempowering us, if it's making us feel stuck in bed with a pillow over our head, stuck in shame, in helplessness, in self-pity, it's not holy. Every moment is a choice to define ourselves as Hashem's beloved daughter, as the carriers of his light, as the ones who are carried by his light and have the power to choose every every single moment and never get discouraged by what happened a minute before and never get stuck in the worries and the fear of what's going to happen or what might happen 
tomorrow. Let's really focus our energy and all of our attention. It, you know, managing our lives, holding our power of choice is a full time job. And every moment of investment of energy that we're focusing our attention on other people's mistakes and what other people need to do, um, or what happened yesterday, what's going to happen tomorrow, you know, it, it takes away from the 100% of focus and of uh, energy that our power of choice really asks of us because it's that powerful, because it's that important, because it matters that much to Hashem and to the world. So that was my sales pitch for <laughs> the power of choice. If anybody has any, I would love to conclude with um, any questions. Does having our unconditional self-respect hinge on how we unconditionally respect others? In Tanya chapter 32, the Baal Tanya talks about how the only way to experience true unconditional love is when we value our neshama more than we value anything else about us. Because any other love is conditional on those things. Because our emotions are always conditioned upon what we value. And the only unconditional value that we have is our godliness, is our neshama, is Hashem's investment within us. Everything else is, is conditional. It's not even, it, 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 it's here today, gone tomorrow. It might be a blessing. It might be a quality that we have or a choice that we make that we might change from. The only unconditional value that we actually have is our godliness, is our soul. It has no expiration date. It never, ever, ever decreases in value. That's our only unconditional value. Our emotions are conditioned on what we value. And our only unchangeable value is our, um, is our neshama. So if you're asking, could I, could I love myself if I don't love other people? Could I love other people if I don't love myself? It's really all the same thing. The more we value Hashem, the more we value our inherent deeper self, and the more we extend that respect to other people. Um, what if we don't respect someone toxic in our lives, but at the same time, we need to preserve our self-respect? So in the Tanya, the Baal Tanya separates behavior from the person. So we would say, I don't respect that, be that toxic behavior, but there is something about that. I still respect the person. I still value the person. And I'm not going to judge the person because I would never want to be in that person's shoes. The Pirkei tells us, right? don't judge another person until you reach his place. And the Magad of Mazrich says, and don't reach his place. You don't want to stand in the other person's shoes because they have their sets of challenges. They have their trauma. They have their insecurities. They have their own animal self. We have no idea why people behave the way they do. We don't really know uh, what it's like to be the other person because we're not them. It doesn't mean we should expose ourselves to abusive behavior, but even an abuser deserves our, doesn't deserve judgment in, to, a, to a degree. Obviously, um, if somebody is being hurt, you know, protect yourself. I know that that's a, that's a, that's a ah, that's gonna, that's an explosive, that's gonna open a can of worms here. The godliness in that person deserves our respect. D the, 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 we, we have no idea what it was like to be that person growing up. We have no idea. So yes, respect yourself, preserve your dignity, take care of yourself, um, but you don't need to put down the other person in order to do that. What if we are dealing with other emotions? Do we be upfront with them if it may hurt them? In other words, you're being impacted by another person's emotions. Do I wanna be upfront with them and say, I am hurt, I'm upset. I don't like how you're behaving. I don't like your, your, how you're dealing with yourself. Um, and we know that telling them this might hurt them. If you know that the other person is not gonna be able to hear what you're saying, then you know it depends on how strongly you have the need to express your emotions. <laughs> 
you know, or to get it out of your system. Sometimes you still need to say it because you need to, because you need to say it that badly, you know? Um, and really that person needs to grow up and be able to handle your experience of them. But sometimes, you know, if, if, it's, if, if, if we can handle it, we don't necessarily have to tell. My father would tell us all the time. He said, MS is MS. Truth is truth, but not every truth needs to be announced and proclaimed for all the world to hear from all the rooftops. You know, it's your truth. Okay. Who says you need to share it with everybody? If you, if you want to have a conversation with the, with the person and you know that they might be hurt by what you're sharing, then I would suggest, but you still want to, you still need something from them. I would suggest to limit your conversation to a request. You know, it would really be meaningful to me if when you're in a bad mood, maybe you kind of like don't mope in the kitchen, <laughs> you know, or because everyone's around here and it's really kind of, it's, it, it, we love you and we care about you and we don't want you moping in the kitchen because it really um, ruins the atmosphere in the home. So please, do you mind moping somewhere else? You know, that's one way of saying it. Okay, we're going to continue Emir Toshem, on Monday night. Next week, we are not meeting on Wednesday night because Wednesday night is Erev Purim. Woohoo, party time. <laughs> so we're gonna be meeting on Monday night at nine o'clock and we're gonna be discuss talking about how to make happiness happen for ourselves and other people, specifically as it relates to Purim. And I'm really looking forward. So thank you so much for joining and have a wonderful Gute Nacht.